Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We are on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And in this conversation, we're really excited to talk about a Baptist, a particular Baptist that has not gotten much attention, or at least perhaps not as much as attention as we would hope for it. And our brother, uh, Matt Reynolds, has joined our conversation today to talk about the spirituality of William Ward. So welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Yeah, as I mentioned uh, in our introduction here, the Covenant po- Podcast, excuse me, exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. And uh, as you know from listening to our show, if you do we like to accomplish that by looking at Calvinistic Baptists from the past and the way that the Lord has used them to build his church in a tradition that we think is faithful to the scriptures. So in this conversation, we want to talk about William Ward and how the Lord used him and what his life can teach us. But uh, before we jump right into uh, that subject, we want to introduce again Matt Reynolds to our show, and we'll do so by asking you, brother, uh, can you introduce yourself to our audience? And as you do, uh, will you include your interest in studying William Ward? Sure. So my name is Matt Reynolds, and I'm the husband of Shannon Reynolds, uh, now for 27 years, by God's grace, uh, 27 and a half, uh, father of Noel and Hallie Reynolds, ages 20 and 17. Um, and as we would in India, I'll mention my parents' names as well. Uh, son of Marvin and Jeannie Reynolds of Somerset, Kentucky, where I grew up. Um, did undergrad work in social work uh, at Moorhead State University, graduating in 96. Uh, had a few years of normal, normal jobs after that before God uh, called us into vocational ministry in general and overseas missions in particular. Uh, that led to time at Southern, uh, working on an MDiv uh, to prepare to go overseas and uh, finish that degree while overseas. We served, uh, my wife and I, and our youngest daughter first and our second daughter, we served for nine years in South Asia with the IMB. And uh, after that, we're back for about three years and then returned for four and a half years with another sending agency called Pioneers. Uh, still in South and Southeast Asia, uh, toward the end of that time, was in leadership, watching over teams in three different countries. And uh, along the way, toward the end there, began work on my PhD uh, on the, the spirituality of William Ward and, and biblical spirituality, but writing on the spirituality of William Ward. And then uh, we returned to the States February 2020 and began serving as uh, Executive Director of Refuge International uh, at that time. Well, Matt, thank you so much for that introduction and for taking the time to join us on today's show. It sounds like the Lord has done some incredible work in your life and has taken you to many places in your efforts to serve him well. So we're, we're very excited to uh, hear you talk about a, another convert or another topic that you have some um, expertise in, and, and that is the topic of William Ward, particularly his spirituality and um, I just wonder if you'd be willing to 
tell us a little bit more about what led you to study Ward in the first place. Um, you've ultimately uh, allowed your studies to provide an opportunity to write a book on William Ward. And during our time before our discussion, you mentioned how there's not a whole lot of interest in him. So maybe to help facilitate some of that interest, would you be willing to uh, first tell us what led you to study Ward? What led you to write a book about him? And then uh, who do you wish to impact through your uh, writings and your studies on Ward? Sure. So initially, uh, I was not interested in writing about William Ward. I was uh, my initial interest uh, was just something Puritan related. I've always loved the Puritans and they've helped me understand my own conversion, you know, better. And uh, and that was uh, that was that was the general thought that I brought into things. Uh, But then as I got into uh, the program, like like so many, all I'd heard of was William Carey. And so I thought, well, I'll write on William Carey. But then it was my advisor, uh, Dr. Michael Haken, who introduced me to William Ward and and basically encouraged me to write on him because he was so instrumental in the Serampore mission, uh, in the Serampore trio, uh, but but no one had had heard of him. And so, uh, so yeah, it was largely, largely Dr. Haken's uh, suggestion. But as I, as I studied more about William Ward and got to know him, I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to write about him even more than William Carey and, uh, and Joshua Marshman, the other members of the, the Serenport trio. Um, I think, should I go ahead and comment on the scope of the book um, and who I had in mind as I wrote? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We'd love to hear that. So, um, I guess the reason I focused on the spirituality of William Moore was partly the degree. My degree uh, is, is a PhD in, in biblical spirituality. And so those degrees tend to focus either on spirituality, you know, as um, taught in a biblical text or as illustrated in a particular person, you know, in, in church history. And so mine's the latter. And, um, the interest, though, in, in William Ward in particular, and I guess even William Carey, is, is a bit personal because we served uh, in India, um, specifically in Kolkata, and Sarampore is just 12 miles upriver, up the Hooghly River, from uh, Kolkata. And so the place uh, that I was reading about, and I, of course, I'd already heard of William Carey, I'd already visited Sarampore College. I'd visited the archive library, the museum there. I'd seen the you know, artifacts. Um, this was very real to us. And we worshiped in our first term in Cary Baptist Church that was founded by these three in 1809. Uh, later, I would have the privilege of supplying the pulpit there for a year in um, around 2016, 17. And so it was really... Um, kind of dreamlike, really, to be able to research someone and read about his life, you know, 200 years ago that was doing similar work among similar people and even recognized street names that he mentioned. It was just just really uh, fascinating. So so that was kind of the connection, um, you know, with the missions aspect of what he did and, and his spirituality. L- let me define just a little bit that, that word spirituality because it uh, – it's, it's, I think it's a very popular term these days, and a lot of people you meet would describe themselves as spiritual, even though they might not be 
particularly religious or are devoted to any particular religion. And um, so we, you, I used it. And I think in, in, um, in the program, it was used basically to denote someone's piety or how someone lives out uh, his or her faith. And so in the case of William Ward, you know, our Christian spirituality, it's basically how a person lives out his or her faith in Christ Jesus. And so that's that's really the scope, the broad scope of, of William Ward's work. And um, and in general, I or in particular, I focused um, a lot on his theology, um, the, uh, the theological background uh, that that shaped him, uh, the church history background that shaped him and gave rise to his beliefs, which gave rise to the way he lived his life and went about uh, his role in the Serampore, uh, in the Serampore mission. Um, yeah, and just 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 briefly to kind of set the backdrop for the biography, I think that, that I'm supposed to share in just a little bit. Um, it really was the, the work focuses. It's really a kind of an intersection <clears throat> of church history, of theology and missions. That's that's really the uh, I guess the the composition of the work. I mean, it's it, it's his spirituality, but it's it uh, it it focuses on those three subjects uh, in depth. And so, when you think of church history and William Ward, um, you're looking at the spiritual de- church history as his spiritual development took place in England, uh, which had been shaped in the immediate past by the Great Awakening. Uh, preachers like George Whitfield, John Wesley, and before that by particular Baptist forefathers like John Fawcett at the seminary home where he studied at Ewood Hall, uh, Robert Hall, uh, even John Gill, and um, before that his Puritan forefathers, and most notably uh, the biggest influence on him was probably Jonathan Edwards uh, in, in America. Um, he influenced the particular Baptist uh, quite a bit and helped to remove some of the uh, hurdles of high Calvinism that really were impeding uh, missions in that day. Um, and of course, before that, you know, reformers like John Calvin and, and the Protestant Reformation in general. So, so really, it's impossible to consider um, William Ward's spirituality apart from church history. And I guess the most immediate context would have been the, um, you know, the high Calvinism of particular Baptist that uh, really did not see missions as something that was even uh, necessary uh, because of their, their theological uh, framework. Um, So yeah, so theology as well. Um, He was a, uh, uh, you know, from a dissenting nonconformist background. So, uh, you know, that was part of his heritage as well. Uh, so he shared kind of a common bond with other dissenters, you know, whether Presbyterian or Congregationalists that uh, did not feel they could worship in accordance with the dictates of the uh, Book of Common Prayer of the Church of England. And um, and he was a particular Baptist. You know, that was part of his heritage that uh as opposed to General Baptist, so he, they, they did uh, adhere to the doctrines of grace. They believed those, and uh, as opposed to uh, you know General General Baptist right there in England. Um, 
And in terms of missions, uh, even though they were pioneers for sure, I mean, uh, William Carey is often regarded as the father of modern missions. And so he went in 1793 to India. Uh, William Ward and Joshua Marshman, Joshua Hannah Marshman and, and others followed in 1799. Um, yeah, there was one other that followed uh, midway between, I believe, John, John Fountain. But uh, they were very much pioneers in their own right. Um, many in the modern missionary movement in, in, the, in, in a Protestant sense followed them. But even they built on the shoulders of the Moravians before them. So, um, so all of that kind of comes, that's kind of the context that, um, William Ward grew up in and, uh, was called to ministry in, called to missions in and, and did, did ministry in. With that background and that backdrop that you have provided, can you, can you now give us a biographical sketch of William Ward himself? Sure. Sure. Um, and I'll just mention for those that would want to, um, let's see, I don't know if I can, if I, if I type a website into this chat, will that show up or, or no? No, I, I don't no, believe okay. it. Okay. Well, I'll just, I'll just mention it for what it's worth. So, um, William Carey University in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, maintains a site uh, it's called the Center for Study of the Life and Work of William Carey. So no surprise since that's the name of the school. But on that site, there is uh, significant information about both Joshua Marshman and William Ward. And so if you go to that, that site, um, it's www.wmcarey.edu slash Carry C-A-R-E-Y. And then if you add another slash W.M. Ward, then you'll be to the uh, the page on, on William Ward. And they have a nice uh, chronology there, a really detailed chronology uh, that you can view. And, and I believe click on it. It takes you to even more uh, information. But I'll give a I'll give a brief overview. Um, so William Ward was born October 20th, 1769. Um, and uh, lived to, um, uh, let's see, let me get this date here, lived to March 7th, 1832. So 1769 to 1832. Um, his life really breaks down into uh, three, three periods. Uh, the first is basically his birth uh, until he went to, to, to Serampore, India, uh, then, and that's, so that's roughly 1769 to, to 1799. Then from the arrival in Serampore until the time when Andrew Fuller passed away in uh, 1815. So that period 1799 to 1815, you could call a period of favor uh, with the Baptist Missionary Society back in England. And then the period of time from 1815 when Andrew Fuller died until 1823 when William Ward passed was really a period of uh, controversy or, or tension with the uh, the sending agency back in, in back in England. So I'll try to give just a little more detail about each of those. Um, William Ward is not was not from a Baptist background. 
uh, we, we really don't have a lot of information about his religious upbringing, except that he was reared uh, with religious education, largely by his mother. His father, uh, Thomas, was a farmer, and his mother's name was likely Ann Fletcher, but it's not uh, recorded in, in print. Um, he, he, there are records of, of Ward mentioning his religious upbringing by his mother, but she was uh, a Methodist and not not a Baptist. So she sought to give Ward, um, you know, a godly upbringing. But there's really not a lot, uh, not a lot more about, um, not even about his uh, his conversion to faith in, in Christ. It's really just not not a lot of information there. But after a basic uh, education, probably uh, around when he was barely a teenager, maybe 13 or 14 years old, he apprenticed under John Drury in printing. And so this was to be his trade, which he took to India, where he printed the Bible, uh, at least portions of it, in uh, over 20 different uh, languages. Um, so he, he was an editor, eventually, of the... Um, of the Derby Mercury in Derby, England, where he was born uh, later for the Hull Advertiser and Exchange Gazette. And in that day, editors often wrote pieces also. And so Ward had power uh, through his editor position. And he also kind of being from dissenting stock, he really sympathized with those that were speaking out against the government. Uh, that were speaking up for free speech, that uh, lobbied for a free press that could critique the government, and uh, that that got him in trouble. And and there's again not not a lot of detail about um, kind of what caused him to start attending a Baptist church and to start preaching in villages, but it seems like uh, it was at least in part a close scare that he had, a piece that he had written. Um, for his newspaper was published in a national uh, periodical called the Morning Chronicle. And the, the editor of that paper was actually put on trial for the article William Ward had written. So he was almost, he was, that man was acquitted, but it could have gone badly. Uh, it could have landed Ward in, in jail even. And so he just kind of, his work as an act activist and a printer just kind of fades into the, the background. You don't read a lot more about it. Um, but you do see around uh, 1795, uh, Ward becomes involved in a Baptist church on Salthouse Lane. Um, there's some dispute about whether it was at that place or George Street, I think it was. But uh, he was later baptized. Again, not a lot of detail there. Uh, 1796, he began preaching in, in villages there, kind of itinerant preaching. And um, someone heard of his labors, uh, offered to sponsor him for theological education. And then he went to kind of a home seminary uh, that was led by Reverend John Fawcett at, at Ewood Hall. And then somewhere along the line, he meets William Carey. And there's uh, just a brief mention of this in uh, the one work really... Um, you know, that was written. There are a few magazine articles written before my work in the 70s, uh, 1970s, 1980s uh, by Christopher Smith and Daniel Potts. And apart from that, uh, there's really not much. You have to go all the way back to his memoir that was written by Samuel Stennett in 1825. 
And uh, his memoirist, Samuel Stennett, uh, surmises that he must have met William Carey. I, I guess he had heard him mention a meeting with William Carey and uh, records that William Carey, when he met William Ward, heard about his printing trade and told William Ward that they could use a person of your business to enable us to print the scriptures and actually expressed his hope to Ward that he would follow him someday. And so fast forward to 17, you know, 98, 99, uh, a member of the particular Baptist Missionary Society visited Ewood Hall and, um, and apparently Ward's heart was touched, was stirred, and uh, he was eventually appointed as a missionary through the particular Baptist Missionary Society in uh, 1799 in May, and just 17 days later set sail for uh, for India. And um, and then I think October 1799 um, landed in Serampore, India. And so that's that's kind of the first period of his life. Uh, the second period, I'll, I'll try to be a little little more briefer here, but but you don't read a lot more about print, uh, you know his his activism per se. A little bit he did speak up against the uh, practice of widow burning, the Hindu practice of widow burning. Sati spoke up against that, um, but uh, really the legacy that he had in Serampore was one of uh, mission administrator, uh, peacemaker pastor, mentor. Uh, he mentored a lot of the, um, yeah, because he went single, so he was single at first. He eventually married uh, John Fountain's widow who had gone before him, and he passed away, um, I believe, shortly after after Ward arrived. So he married his uh, widow, uh, Anne, and um, yeah, and he was a mentor to a lot of the the children of the missionaries, a lot of the sons of William Carey and Joshua Marshman and others. Um, he, of course, ran the printing press. And in that uh, in that role, he printed what they called paper missionaries. So their, their typical uh, work at that time was that they would print these paper missionaries, these tracts. They would go out into the village, the villages uh, surrounding Serampore and even sometimes take river trips uh, uh, further into uh, into the, the hinterland, and they would uh, preach the gospel and hand out tracts. And, uh, of course, initially a lot of time spent learning language. And uh, the Serampore mission was really funded by uh, the sale of literature, when, uh, especially when Ward would do print jobs for the East India Company and the government there in, in Calcutta, and through Joshua Marshman's educational work, and then through um, William Carey's employment as a professor in the Civil Service College at Fort William. Um, so that that continued, um, you know, uh, r- roughly up until 1815. And uh, when you read about it, it was just a, uh, a grueling schedule. I mean, it was in the print shop all week, um, you know, a community life at the mission where they held each other accountable. They uh, took church very seriously. Uh, Then on the weekends, they were, uh, you know, preaching multiple times a day in English, in Bangla, uh, in Serampore, in Kolkata. Uh, Just, uh, you almost get, get tired reading about it. You know, it was just, of course, personally, I knew the 
the heat and the uh, the mosquitoes and all the all the things that are part of life there. Um, it was not not easy, and um, but but that was uh, and and William Ward eventually adopted uh, one child that uh, had been fathered by John John Fountain before his death. He adopted him, and they had other other children, uh, other daughters after after that. And then the period from 1815 on to his death, uh, that's painful to read about just because of the controversy. Uh, and that wasn't the focus of my dissertation. So I'm not uh, not as well studied about that that period of time. But, but it is painful because uh, unlike today, where you can resolve a conflict quick, more quickly because of email uh, or phone calls, they didn't have that then, and uh, it took months for post to reach, you know, England and 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 to receive a reply to India. So you know, half a year or more would go by as they tried to hammer out, uh, you know, who had jurisdiction of property, and um, um, yeah. So that was kind of a sad time when the original rope holders, if you will, uh, began to die off. Uh, who knew Carrie Ward Marshman personally and, and basically trusted them. They didn't need uh, documents drawn up in writing about who owned the property and things like that. But, but after some of those passed away, and especially Andrew Fuller, a new generation rose up that began to question everything and, and more junior missionaries that were uh, jealous, really, of Carrie Marshman Ward were accusing them. And, uh, it just, yeah, it was really, it's really sad to read about. And eventually Ward toward the end of his life makes a trip back to England and even to America to drum up to both to defend, uh, the work that they were doing in Serampore and also to drum up support for the mission and for the new college that they were trying to start. So that's, that's, uh, uh, brief and, and maybe even that's too much detail, but that's a little bit about uh, William Ward's uh, biography. No, oh, thank you for that, brother. That's uh, I think exactly what we were looking for. This is the type of material that uh, we are definitely interested in as co-hosts, and uh, hmm. I think uh, our audiences too, because into yeah. our episodes on uh, obscure Baptists. <laughs> And so we're thankful that you have uh, taken the time, research information about his life. And uh, we not only want to talk about the details of his life, but we want to, uh, if you will lead us on this, make some applications from William Ward to help us uh, continue to persevere in the faith. So our next question for you is, what does William Ward have to teach us about spirituality? You previously had given us a helpful definition about uh, what spirituality is, but we want to learn now what Ward teaches us about spirituality and more specifically, what practical lessons can we learn from his life? Sure. Yeah. In, in studying William Ward's life, there were four uh, themes or strands of his spirituality that really emerged as, as prominent. Uh, the, 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 the biggest one was love, uh, and, and I say this because this was how he was regarded by his colleagues and others that he uh, interacted with in the larger ecumenical circles there in, in Calcutta and Serampore and also uh, just the community there in, in Calcutta. Uh, so love, uh, humility, 
prayer and, and usefulness. So these are all um, you know, prominent themes in his, in his spirituality. Um, as far as practical lessons from his life, I think the, the thing that stands out uh, really from, from start to finish is, uh, you know, kind of what, what was his strength is probably the same reason that he was, has been overlooked. So for example, you know, if you have a David Livingston or a William Carey, uh, or even a, an Adoniram Judson, some of these that are first to go, uh, th- those make good stories, you know, because they're pioneers. They're the first to go. And, and, and in many cases, they had kind of an adventurous spirit. And also, you know, in, in Judson's case, the suffering that he endured uh, for the sake of, of the gospel and just the uh, movie-like drama that, that took place, you know, in the preservation of that, that Bible that he translated um, with William Ward, though, uh, he, he is the kind of person that is easily uh, forgotten in history. But at the time that that history was being made, you would not have had a Serampore mission without William Ward because William Ward was the administrator that uh, kept everything running behind the scenes. And uh and, and, and we've seen this personally, you know, from being overseas, uh, you know, sometimes those very bold personalities are also some of the most difficult to get along with. And so I think that was probably the case with Joshua Marshman. Um, Joshua Marshman was on the one hand, very bold and evangelistic, but on the other hand, very abrasive, uh, ill-mannered even at times, uh, did not make a good name for himself with uh, the British, you know, the, who were in power and may not have shared his convictions. Uh, he would have gotten along well with those that, that shared his convictions to a T, but he was ready to debate anything with anyone who didn't share those same convictions. Uh, Ward, on the other hand, was much more of an irenic, uh, you know, personality. Uh, he he sought ways to find common ground. Um, Ward, probably more than any of the others, just really reveled in the fellowship that they had with their Anglican brethren uh, early on. Uh, Claudius Buchanan, uh, David Brown, these were um, chaplains in the East India Company that I believe, if I'm remembering rightly, had been appointed by John Newton. So there was a tie even with John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, William Ward actually brought a letter of recommendation from John Newton to introduce themselves, you know, to these brothers in, in Calcutta. It's uh, fa- fascinating. And William Carey even was mentored, uh, participated in a breakfast group that Newton had back in England before he set sail for India. Uh, but they had this really, um, and, and this happens a lot on the mission field nowadays, too, if if you're one of the only Christians in a frontier mission field, you find yourselves uh, willing to fellowship with and even partner with people that maybe in the States you, you didn't because you had more of your own specific camp, uh, you know, around you. And so that was certainly the case uh, with, with Ward. Uh, He, he, he really, just to give one example, he uh, he and Marshman differed on their view of communion. Uh, Marshman and uh, 
like Andrew Fuller, was more convicted that communion should be closed, which would have meant only uh, Baptist uh, would participate in that that communion only. Um, but but Ward uh, pushed for and enjoyed open communion with these Anglican brothers uh, there in Sarampore and the times of prayer that they shared. Um, now, as more of the Anglican stripe and more of the Baptist stripe and, and others began to arrive, you, you see a lessening of that uh, you know, later. But initially, uh, Ward was really, um, you know, just of a very uh, warm-hearted stripe that, that really paved the way for good relations. Uh, he was also, uh, you know, uh, a, a compromiser in a good way, I'll say, not a compromiser in terms of his faith, but when there were um, there were a few different incidents throughout the, the the history of the mission where they fell out of favor with the British East India Company, and of course the British East India Company could send them home if they wanted to, and um, or they could make life difficult for them at Sarampore. Uh, they could seize the, their printing press, which they did at one time. Um, but Ward was the one again that kept his head and uh, found a way forward and was, could be tactful in his speech and, um, and, 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 and not alienate the other side. So, so that's, that's uh, I think just the effect that his life had um, also the, uh, the loving aspect, the humble aspect of his personality and his spirituality meant that he was widely uh, well-regarded as a pastor and just a friend uh, there in Calcutta, and and many of the junior missionaries really owed their own growth in Christ and and holding to the faith, you know, to William Ward's um, influence. Um, so I think that's maybe I'll just try to wrap up this this section and just say that uh, I think he teaches us, he reminds us that some spiritual gifts that are overlooked, like like administration. For one, it is in scripture, you know, it is a spiritual gift. And he reminds us that not many churches, not many missions do very well, uh, or at least don't do well for very long without someone of that gifting. And so I think a study of William Ward and becoming familiar with him is important because it just, um, it corrects our myopic view, myopic view of spiritual gifts even. And reminds us that heroes of the faith are not necessarily uh, the ones with the loudest mouths, you know, all, all the time. That the William Ward has a, has a real place in the heroes of the faith. Um, also, another thing that really stands out is the value of friendship, um, because he was a more of a peaceful mind. Uh, he had friends, uh, you know, across many friendships across the aisle, so to speak. I mean, in the Anglican camp, in the Baptist camp. Uh, he enjoyed a sweet friendship with the Presbyterian captain of the ship that sympathized with them and took them from England to, uh, to India. And they saw each other at times after that. Um, he enjoyed communion with him on board the Criterion, uh, even while Marshman was, was hesitant to, to do that. Um, uh, so the value of friendship, I think, you know, stands out with William Ward. And you see that in the funeral sermons that were preached 
uh, at his funerals and, uh, and just love covers over a multitude of wrongs. I mean, even within the trio, it's remarkable that these three men um, maintained harmonious relationships over the period of 23 years. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that they stayed alive that long, you know, in that climate in India at that time when other colleagues uh, did not live that long. Um, but I think partially because of the hardships they endured, because they were there together at the, you know, the founding time of the mission, um, they, they just formed inseparable bonds that even uh, personality differences and quirks and uh, foibles didn't, didn't separate. And uh, so, yeah, that's another thing that just stands out that, that uh, an effect of his spirituality was that those guys continued to get along and work together and enjoy each other's fellowship over, over 23 years. This has been a fascinating discussion on the life, theology, and spirituality of William Ward and Matt. For those of us like me who are not as familiar with this figure from Baptist history, uh, would you be willing to share any key quotes or excerpts from Ward that illustrate his spirituality? You mentioned four strands of spirituality in response to our previous question. Do you have any insights from Ward that you can share to flesh that out for our listeners today? Sure. Yes. I, I was uh, looking back to see that there are so many um, you know, precious quotes and one, and I will share a couple of uh, one aspect of Ward's personality that uh, really you see more and more as you read his journal. And that, that was one of the main sources for my dissertation was his journal that he kept um you know, day by day from about 1799 to about 1811. It's the primary source. Um, he sent material from it back to England to Andrew Fuller, who would edit it and then put it in the periodical accounts and then sell subscriptions. But the original source was the, the journal. Uh, and then Daniel Potts, the Australian scholar, transcribed that whole journal. And it's available now on, on microfilm. Um, one place is the, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary Library. Uh, the archives of the BMS are on, on microfilm there, including um, Potts's transcription of the uh, William Ward's journal. But you really see his, his personality come out. And he really had um, a wit about him. And uh, sometimes it was kind of good-natured ribbing of his colleagues, uh, but he, he was really funny. And so... I uh, put an appendix in my dissertation called the winsome wit of Ward. And uh, yeah, th there's a lot of good quotes there um, about, uh, you know, how it was no big thing to baptize in water that uh, where someone had been swallowed by an alligator, you know, not long before, just, just all kinds of crazy stuff. But, but, um, but let me just, this is, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just read a little bit from, from, from my dissertation here, including a quote here. Uh, of all of Ward's spiritual traits, love reigns supreme. As his forward, as his former Ewood Hall fellow surveyed Ward's letters, he concluded that, and this is a, a quote, a spirit of Christian love breathed through all his writings and marked all his conversation and demeanor. He was gentle and unassuming, though firm in his sentiments and holding no truth with a loose hand. He was never dogmatical. His disposition was naturally kind. 
the love of Christ was the predominant affection in his heart, and the glory of God and the good of immortal souls, the great aim of all his actions. Um, and then Ward, concerning his own you know, estimation of love, uh, as compared with other doctrines, he counted it the centerpiece of his, of his personal creed. And um, of course, this is not all that Ward wrote. So you'll hear this and you might think, whoa, where was Ward uh, on the theological map? But this is just one quote, okay? But he says, the doctrines of the love of God, the atonement, the resurrection and kingdom of Jesus are, I trust, more and more precious to me. My views of them are more consoling, my faith in them more solid, and my peace and joy more regular. Yet I can part with the dogmas of enthusiasts, with the creeds of bigots, with the utmost ease. If I were asked for my creed, I could soon give it. God is love. If God so loved the world, we ought also to love one another. Were I going to establish a church, I would have such a creed as this. So, um, you know, again, he was not uh, uh, quite as particular as, as Marshman, uh, but, uh, but really majored on the love of God in, in Christ. So those, those are just a, a, couple of, a couple of quotes. Matt, we truly appreciate all that you've shared with us about William Ward and his life, his spirituality, and, and really just the encouragement that his life and ministry really ought to give to all of us. With that being said, what final encouragements do you have related to Baptist history, William Ward in particular, or anything else that you would like to share with us and our audience? Yeah, if, um, you know, Lord willing, this book's going to be published by uh, Chesed and Emmett, a publisher in Canada. It's, um, I'm not sure exactly when that's going to be. Uh, there's still some edits being made, but but when it comes out, uh, you know, I encourage you to read it. I think that uh, William Ward is is worthy of, of reading. And, um, you know, for those that uh, have an interest in diving a little deeper uh, we do live in a, a special age, uh, being the, the digital age. Many uh, original works, uh, and I'm talking about letters, journals, um, you know, funeral sermons. It's amazing how much from 200 years ago is available on Google Books. Uh, you you can access it. You can you can read about it and. Um, and reading the the letters and and uh, and sermons from that time period, you just uh, it's it's refreshing to see you know how deeply they thought, um, how thoroughly and uh, you know perspicuously they expressed their 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 convictions, and even in correspondence, you know how warm you know was the correspondence between. Uh, you know, grown men, for example. And, um, you know, I just came away uh, realizing that we just don't see that. Uh, we don't have that kind of correspondence anymore in, in emails, for example. It's, it's almost like the medium has changed the, uh, the, the discourse as well. And um, so, yeah, just I guess just a general encouragement to, um, to check out uh, works uh, like that. Um, 
There really aren't a lot of others about William Ward, except that you can find his memoir by Samuel Stennett, uh, The Life of William Ward. You can find another key work on Google Books uh, that otherwise is you have to go to Serampore to purchase it, but it is on available online Google Books, The Life and Times of Carrie Marshman and Ward. Uh, that, that also is a great, uh, one of the earliest uh, works uh, regarding the Serampore mission and uh, talks a lot about William Ward. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a need to rediscover those and, um, and also just to be mindful that uh, at any period in church history, uh, God's working not only in the, the big heroes we've heard of, but in, in silent uh, and maybe more uh, quiet guys like William Ward that we haven't heard of. Amen. We have been speaking with Matt Reynolds about the spirituality of William Ward and the work that he has written and will at some point in time be published by Hesed and Amet. Um, I encourage you and, and my co-host encourage you when it is published to go pick it up and read it as we likely will. Um, again, Matt, thank you for coming on the Covenant Podcast. Thank you. And to our listeners, we wish you grace and peace.